So one of the things that I talk to tenants about is there are services that landlords need in order to keep the property running. So for example, landscaping, they may need help painting a unit when, you know, when somebody moves in or out, they may need help carrying out trash, you know, those kinds of things. So one of the opportunities for renters in terms of reducing their rent is maybe even being like an on-site property manager for some of the smaller apartment buildings. And that will kind of give the landlord a person on the ground who can actually see what's going on. So who can report back to the landlord and the landlord can determine whether I really need to go and be on site to resolve this problem, or if this is something that I can delegate um, to someone else or just delegate to a vendor. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Justin Pogue. Justin is the author of Rental Secrets, a guide for tenants on how to work with their landlords to keep their rents at reasonable rates. I thought this would be an interesting discussion to have since most of our listeners are investors and are on the other side of the table. The strategies that you hear about in this podcast may help you keep a valuable tenant while having them help you with your operations. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with amazing rates and incredible service. I've used them for years and they've always been incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. All right, Justin, welcome on the show. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very happy to be here. So my name is Justin Pogue. My background is in residential property management and development. I've been doing that since 2003. I'm also a landlord, so I've got various properties across the country, mostly in the southeast of the United States. And most recently, I'm an author and a real estate consultant for property management companies. That's exciting. And so I actually met you about a month ago at a random networking event. And we connected because you talk about how to help tenants reduce their rent over time. Is that correct? Yeah. And which is interesting because this is a real estate investing podcast. So most of the people who listen to this are landlords and they want to increase the rents. So I think it's cool to have you know both sides of the discussion here. Oh, no, absolutely. Because one of the things that I think, especially new landlords need to think about is the cost of charging top dollar for everything you know, out in the marketplace, because it slows down opportunities to fill vacancies. It can increase the amount of turnover they're having which can also increase their maintenance costs. So they really need to think about how they're going to position their property and the amount that they charge for it is really important because just because you charge high dollars, that's revenue. What we really want is profit. That's where the real real meat of the deal is. So that's what people need to focus on. Not so much, oh yeah, I charge top dollar, but then I've got a bunch of turnover, I got a lot of maintenance, I got a lot of issues, I got somebody calling me every every week to come in and screw in a light bulb for them. So it's important to know how they're going to position their property when they place that rental price on it. 
Exactly. So go ahead and just briefly tell us some of the tips that you're having the tenants do so that they can maintain these low rents. So one of the things that I talk to tenants about is there are services that landlords need in order to keep the property running. So for example, landscaping, they may need help painting a unit when, you know, when somebody moves in or out, they may need help carrying out trash, you know, those kinds of things. So one of the opportunities for renters in, in terms of reducing their rent is maybe even being like an on-site property manager for some of the smaller apartment buildings. And that will kind of give the landlord a person on the ground who can actually see what's going on. So who can report back to the landlord and determine what, and the landlord can determine whether I really need to go and be on site to resolve this problem, or if this is something that I can delegate um, to someone else or just delegate to a vendor. And then also who's going to be there to let that vendor in, you know, those kinds of really practical things that tenants can help out with because, you know, they're there um, on the, on the site and typically the landlord is not. So that's just a couple of examples of how tenants can actually help landlords manage their property better, reduce with a lower stress level and actually end up with having higher profit at the end of it. I mean, you're basically talking about uh, making life easier for the property manager, or I guess making your life easier for the landlord. Yeah. And where they don't have to deal with like a headache tenant, this tenant actually keeps your property looking nice. So you don't have those crazy high turnover costs and they don't want to move because they're happy, right? Yeah. Because you think about like, for example, somebody who owns a property in the, in the Bay Area, right? They're not going to have time to visit their property on a weekly or even monthly basis. So the idea that there's someone living in the property who can actually keep an eye on it and maintain what's going on around the property, maybe even clean up the property, pick up the trash that blows on the property every so once, every once in a while, keeps the curb appeal looking the way it needs to look. Because at the end of the day, as a landlord, you want a property that is attractive so you can attract residents and you can keep your rent cash flow continuing. And the continuity of the cash flow is really what's important. Right. You know, like you mentioned at our meetup, like if you lose a month's rent, that's gone forever. And how many months is that going to take? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So here's a good example. So you have a tenant in, in your property. You send them a renewal notice and you're going to raise their rent, let's say, 200 bucks a month, which in the Bay Area isn't unheard of. Well, what I'm teaching renters to kind of think about is what is the cost to the landlord if you just decide I'm going to move out? I don't want to deal with the 200. Because from the renter side, renters are thinking, okay, I either have to accept the 200 or I have to leave. It's a very binary decision for a lot of renters. And what I'm explaining to renters is it's not really a binary decision. There's a spectrum of options in there. And talking to the landlord about that spectrum of options can save you money and it can benefit the landlord. So how it benefits the landlord is maybe they accept the $200 increase, maybe they don't. I'd rather them accept something than to move out because once they move out, I start having, I start encountering lost rent due to vacancy. And it may take me a month to get that property filled up again. And people will say, well, there's a lack of supply in, you know, especially in the Bay Area. There's all these people looking for places. And so why is it going to take a month? But what landlords, especially new landlords need to understand is you don't actually collect any money until the person signs on dotted line gets the keys and takes possession of the apartment. So just because they signed a lease, yeah, that's nice. But that date that they actually move in and get possession, that's when you start collecting money that you can actually start using to pay bills with. The rest of that time, you're just holding a deposit. Deposit is not your money. That still belongs to them. 
How does that conversation come to play? Like they send you that notice that your rent's going to be increased. Do you just send a letter back telling them, here are some alternatives instead? That's one way to do it. My preference would be to actually speak to the landlord in person if possible. But before they even get to the point of talking to the landlord, actually go out and gather some data. You know, this is, this is actually another strategy that I put in the book. Well, go out and gather some data from the market and see what's going on in the marketplace. And then when you come back to your landlord, you can have that intelligent discussion and you're using actual market data to have that discussion with. That's another strategy that renters can use. But I would recommend kind of having that conversation either face-to-face or over the phone initially, because eventually something's going to have to end up being put on paper because it's a lease and it's a contractual arrangement after all. But having that conversation, then you can actually explain to the landlord from really their perspective what the costs are and what the trade-offs are and why it's better to accept maybe instead of that $200 a month increase, maybe accept 100 or 150 and back off a little bit and keep the tenant that you have rather than incurring the cost of switching to another one. Right. I think the key strategy is to let them know what the downside is if you have to move out for a month or so. Yeah. Because like there is turnover costs and vacancy costs and that's very expensive. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just the cost of lost rent. It's also the cost of you know, going back in and actually having the unit cleaned, making whatever repairs need to be made. You know, all of those costs, there's nothing really offsetting that until you get the next tenant into the property. And that takes time. And time is not your friend when you're dealing with vacancy. So another thing that I'd point out is, kind of back to the topic of oh, it's such a hot market. People are always looking. People are always looking, but there may be reasons why a particular apartment in an apartment building is not as desirable as some of the other units. So one of my uh, experiences as a property manager is in the city of Mountain View, California, I had an apartment that was vacant for about two months. People would come and tour, but nobody actually rented it. Talking to my leasing associate, come to find out that People would tour most of the apartment. They'd get to the door of the master bedroom and they wouldn't go in. So I'm standing at the door of the master bedroom. What I'm seeing is the window of the master bedroom. It has some uh, fire protection bars over it that were mandated by the fire department, which kind of makes the view undesirable. That's what was making people turn around. But more important than that, because they were never in the room, they didn't see the double closets. They didn't see the remodeled bathroom. So in their mind, it doesn't exist. So when they got back to the kitchen table and they're comparing two bedroom apartments, well, do we want the one without the bathroom and the master? No, of course not. We were going to choose something else. So that's why the apartment wasn't renting. Solution was to go and stage the apartment, put curtains over that window. Now, of course, when people go in, they're going to open the curtains and they're going to see what's there but they're physically in the room at that point. So when they turn around, now they're gonna see the double closets, they're gonna see the remodeled bathroom, and now those aspects of the apartment come into play. But that's just one real life example of why some apartments, even in a quote unquote really hot market, take longer to rent. And by telling renters to actually physically go out and seek out those types of apartments, that cuts down on the vacancy time for that apartment, can save the landlord a whole heap of money because at 2500 or three grand a month, I mean, it doesn't take too many months for 
that vacancy cost to really start eating into the profitability of the property. So you're basically telling people to go out, look for these kind of undesirable places uh, that are hard to rent out to, offer to rent them out. And then, you know, when it comes time to renew, you say, hey, look, this was hard to rent out. Keep me in at this price. Yeah. And it's not even necessarily that it's undesirable. It's just the view from this particular apartment was not as good as the view from another apartment in the same community. So it's not necessarily that I'm recommending people choose rundown properties to rent in or anything like that. But there are some differences between apartments because one of the particular things about real estate is no two properties can occupy the same space. So each property is different, just like each apartment is different. One may have a window that faces towards the sun rising. Another one may have a window facing towards the sunset. Um, And people have preferences. So the idea is for people who are renting, who are looking for somewhat of a deal, find the apartments that have those types of differences and seek out those. Because another issue with that is what's happening is that apartment that's not renting, it's coming up in the weekly leasing meeting that that leasing agent is having with his boss. And everybody's getting tired of talking about that same apartment. So if as a renter, you come in and say, well, I'm interested in that particular apartment. You are now the leasing agent's hero because they can walk into that leasing meeting and say, look, I leased apartment 52. It's off the books. And you get and they get their gold star for that week. So part of it is also understanding the dynamics that are going on behind the scenes that renters never really see. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be an apartment building or a property management company. It may be a it may be a situation where a property management company is dealing with an individual owner. And when they go into that meeting with that owner, they want to be able to tell the owner that the property is leased. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was renting an apartment back when I was living in Los Angeles, I did have a place where they were actually very kind to me. They didn't raise the rents too much. But when they did, honestly, they were doing it because they wanted to sell the property. And I think, you know, at that point, you want to increase the NOI so that it's more desirable. You can sell it for a you know, certain cap rate. At that point, is there anything you can do? Or is your only choice to move out so they can get the market rates? Well, so the value of the property comes from three places. Okay. One is construction costs. Another is sales costs. But the third method is the income method. What income is the property generating? Okay. And that third method especially comes into play when you're talking about commercial level property, which is five units or more. So if they're getting ready to sell, the argument then becomes that this increases really, this increases prohibitively expensive for me. And it will be easier for you to sell if there's someone in place and that cash flow is still coming, or you can sell it with a vacancy and now you have work for the other person. Now, in one instance, the other person has to find a new tenant. In the other instance, the person has to eventually raise the rent to justify the price after they purchase it. So it's a matter of what kind of work they want to do. But when people are selling properties, part of the sales pitch is the property is X percent occupied. And from a buyer standpoint, that's something that has value. Now, that may be offset depending upon how far below market the rents currently are. Okay, so let's say if the rents are five or $600 below market, the occupancy doesn't matter much because somebody who's buying is going to want to come in and increase, and increase the rents 
And it's easier to do that when those people aren't there. But if you're a couple of hundred bucks below market, there can be a case that's made for persons already in there. They're reliable. They're dependable. They pay on time. They're already in place. It gives you a good place. It gives you a good starting point as the owner. And then later on down the line, if you want to increase rents, then you're welcome to do that. Uh, you said you're a property manager for some properties in Mountain View right now? Not currently. That was the last corporate position I had. That was about a year ago, about, about a year or two ago. So at the time, Mountain View was already under rent control. Is that correct? It was going through rent control at that point in time. Got it. So they had just passed the ordinance and they were still trying to figure out exactly how it was going to be applied. Yeah. So actually, I made a video a couple months ago about California AB 1482. And that's basically, you know, statewide rent control for the state of California. And I got some comments. Some people were saying that, hey, I used to be a chill landlord and I didn't raise rents because some of my tenants were like really good. But now because I'm forced, right, I'm capped at this rent. I'm like, I can't evict people without just cause. Yeah. Now they're going to get guaranteed rent increases every single year because of it. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I have a number of thoughts on that. One is that, yes, statewide rent control passed. However, the rents are so high. I mean, it wasn't like they reduced the amount that that was being charged for rent currently. The next thing that's interesting about it is, yeah, you're capped at 5% plus inflation. And that, and it allows for inflation to be the inflation that you can pass on to be another 5%. So you really you're capped at 10%. And so inflation has been pretty low, like one or 2%. So you're looking at a 7% increases that, that are allowed. Well, if you're renting something at three grand, I mean, 5% increase is 150 bucks. I mean, it's not insubstantial. And there are some provisions where you can bank some, some of the increases and that kind of thing as, as well. But what I would tell landlords is even with that, the relationship between you and your renter is still paramount because your renter is your renter is in effect your partner in your investment. And the only way that works is if the renter is paying the rent that you and they agreed upon. And the continuity of that cash flow is still what matters. Let's talk about your properties over in the Southeast. Are you doing anything special in that case? Like, do you have a relationship with your tenants for, the, for those properties? I do have relationships with those tenants. At this point, I have a property management company that's managing the day-to-day -day issues. So I'm less involved in the day-to-day -day issues at this point. But that was part of the conversation that I had with them before they took over the properties. It's really about having continuity of cash flow over time. And this is another good point to bring up in terms of property management companies. When I was looking for a property management company, I wanted one that actually understood the tenants that I had because there are different types of tenants. There are blue collar working tenants. There are white collar professional tenants. There are college professor tenants. And you need a property management company that actually understands how to deal with those different populations. That's the first thing. The second thing I'd say is there are a lot of real estate agents that kind of moonlight as property managers, you know, when transactions slow down their heart's not really in property management. And more often than not, the quality of job you're going to get from them is not going to be where you want it to be. So typically, I would avoid the realtor who's moonlighting in property management unless you have some really special relationship with them, because it'll probably lead you to problems down the road. Mm -hmm. 
what inspired you to do something like this to teach tenants how to reduce their rents? So there's a few things. So one is that I found it really interesting that when I went into Barnes and Noble, I found massive number of books written for owners and investors, but I found virtually nothing written for renters. And when you really think about it, these are 43 million households that are bringing half a trillion dollars to the table every month to make the whole real estate rental industry float. And having that group be a little more educated about how to work together with landlords can't do anything but help. The second thing is the national conversation that we're having about housing, this kind of leads back to your question about statewide rent control, is it's, there's a feeling of helplessness and frustration among renters that I think a lot of landlords don't really recognize. And that's fueling the creation of laws such as rent control laws, just eviction laws, and other things that if they're not crafted properly can be really detrimental. And I point to an example of uh, Berkeley, California, where they have really strict limiting rent control laws. What that's done is over time, there's been less investment in new properties in Berkeley. There's been less investment in terms of maintenance the properties that they have. So the renters end up with a supply of properties to rent that are older, more rundown, less well-maintained, and they're paying higher prices for them, which is not where they wanted to end up. But that's an unfortunate side effect of this feeling of frustration and helplessness that a lot of renters are feeling. So in writing this book, if renters can understand the levers that they have to pull in terms of negotiating with the landlord, we can start to address some of those feelings of helplessness and frustration that are going on out there. And that hopefully will lead to less draconian policies and regulation coming down from the government. Because it should be a relatively simple transaction between two adults. And if both sides are well-informed, then it's easier for that transaction to happen. Exactly. I mean, again, like from that video I made about rent control, there are obviously two different sides to that conversation. On the one side, you have people who say, I put all my hard-earned money into buying this property. I should be able to get market rent for it, right? I mean, this is not like I'm charging 10 grand a month on some piece of crap property. No, this is market. Market rent maybe goes for 4,000 in this area. I want to make it nice. I want to get the most money out of it. Well, on the other hand, people are saying, well, what about you know the senior citizen who's lived in this home for 30 plus years and they're on fixed income? What are you going to do, kick them out? It's a hard conversation to have, especially because like this business isn't just, you know, a business for profit. It's also a business where these are people's legitimate livelihoods, like they live in this house. Right, right. And it's the foundation for everything that they do. I mean, if you think about like a recent college graduate, for instance, in order to get to their job, they have to have some place to live that's relatively close to that job. And it supports their ability to actually do that job and earn income and affect whoever their clients or customers are. So it, real estate has this ripple effect because it's interwoven into everything. Yep. So what other things do you think we should know about this topic? I want to come back to the new landlords, the ones that are just getting into investing in, in property and whether, because a lot of times they went to a seminar that's saying all the praises of real estate and they, you know, they bought a property or they inherited a property from someone else or someone told them about this 
great deal that they could get on the property. But in many instances, the group or organization or person that presented that to them, they don't really talk about the fact that as the landlord, you are fully responsible for everything that happens to that property. Legal issues, maintenance issues, structural issues, marketing, like everything that is related to that property, you are now responsible for. I mean, it's basically starting a business. And there's not a lot of discussion about those kinds of things on the landlord investment investment side. And I really think that would help because a lot of landlords are stressed out because they've got mortgages to pay and they've got other things going on. And oh, by the way, they have this other life outside of this investment property that they purchased. So there's quite frankly, a lot of education that needs to take place on both sides, which is why I really love you know the podcast that you're doing because it really speaks to that side of the issue. Now, if you have your tenants coming up and I guess offering you to do some work on the side or maybe be like a property manager for you to reduce their rent, is there any kind of like, I don't know, like liability in that case? Like, are they not considered your employee? You have to 1099 them? You know, what goes on there? It's interesting because this depends on how you have it set up. So if they provide a service and you're now paying them out of pocket, then yeah, there's going to be a 1099 that that's involved. But typically... If the rent that you're charging that person is lower for some reason, you're not 1099ing them for the difference in what they, quote, would have paid versus what they're actually paying. So, but I will caveat that by saying I'm not an attorney. So I would, you know, ask that question of your legal profession. But typically what I've seen is that's not a 1099 situation. Gotcha. And you did write a whole book based on this whole subject. So do you want to briefly go over, you know, what your book entails and some basic tips from the book as well? Yeah, absolutely. So the title of the book is Rental Secrets. And the subtitle is How to Reduce Your Rent, Get Better Value for What You're Paying, and Create Quality Communities. And the quality communities part is really the part that speaks to the landlords, because that's honestly what we all want, both landlords and renters. We want quality places for people that where people can live. So one of these tips that's in the book is actually being that on-site property manager for the landlord, especially for smaller apartment buildings, you know, something less than 20 units, because that can actually be a good side gig for someone to, like if you have a young couple with a small kid, one person can stay home and be the property manager, the other person can go out and actually have a full-time, full-time job. And that's a really good strategy for young, for young couples. One of the other strategies that I point out is landlords are in competition with each other. So as you're going around visiting these properties, look at the different deals that companies are offering. Some may be offering free rent. Some might be offering to reduce the monthly rent payment. Others might be offering free deposit. If you like a community that's not offering the deal that you want, you know, basically go to that community and say, look, these people are offering this. Can we do something similar to that? Because I really like your community. So really gathering that market data and coming to landlords with actual viable market information as opposed to what a lot of people do is basically just, in some cases, whining about how how much things cost. And that kind of goes back to having this adult discussion about renting and housing and the whole housing issue. And then lastly, I talk to people about pets and how pets can affect the cost of what you're paying for the property because some places will charge pet rent and or pet deposit. Now, I have seen a few places that have actually tried to charge both. And I actually just basically tell people, avoid those properties that try to charge both pet rent and pet deposit 
It really should be one or the other. So those are some of the strategies that I talk about in Rental Secrets. Um, but of course, we can only kind of scratch the surface in the time that we have together today. But as I mentioned, the title of the book is Rental Secrets. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, as well as rentalsecrets.net. And a lot of the feedback that I've been getting is the book is definitely good, not only for renters, but also for landlords. Have you ever had any case studies of someone using your techniques and have they you know, announced the results because of it? I have had some feedback related to uh, there's a manager of the uh, Palo Alto YMCA. She actually bought a copy of my book for one of her employees. And after sharing the book with the employee, the employee actually was able to renew her lease at a lower price than what they were asking for. And the benefit to the manager was that she was able to keep that employee working at the YMCA. So as we kind of touched on before, real estate ripples through a lot of things that people are involved in. And there's a real impact in the California Bay Area as far as nonprofit organizations trying to retain employees. So in that instance, the book was very helpful um, for that particular person. Awesome. So are there any final tips that you'd like to share with us before we end the show today? I'd say the last tip that I would share is, you know, your renters are more than just a check every month. They're your partners in managing your property. They're your partners in getting the return out of your property that you're expecting. So your relationship with them is extremely important if you're actually going to get the return that you want. I've talked to other investors and they're like, yeah, we bought a piece of property. We just kind of set it and forget it. Real estate doesn't work that way. It has to be maintained both in terms of the physical property and also in terms of the relationship with that resident. Perfect. So how many people get in contact with you? So I'm available at justin at rentalsecrets.net. They can also connect with me on LinkedIn and the website rentalsecrets.net. Perfect. All right, Justin. Well, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Cool. Take care. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. Talk to the landlord and see where their pain points are. What can you do to help them in exchange for keeping the rents low? Do some market research and remind your landlord that it may be more costly to replace you as a tenant instead of just lowering the amount of your rent increase. As a landlord, your relationship with the renter is very important. And keep in mind that your renters are more than just a check every month. They're your partner in managing your property and getting the return out of the property. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, Join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.